Hi, this is Pastor Paul Jay Chandran. Welcome to Life Church Castle Hill podcast. I pray that the Lord will speak to you through the Word of God. We believe that when we open the pages of Scripture, we not only get a message from the Word of God, but we also encounter the God of the Word. May you encounter the God of the Word and may your life be transformed from the inside out. God bless you. Enjoy this message. Wonderful. I'm so grateful that we have this privilege to be able to come into your homes with worship and with the Word of God. Now, we're thankful that technology does cooperate most of the time. But for the rest of the time, we continue to be faithful in trusting God and holding on to Him. I want you to turn to your neighbor and give them um, probably a nod, a Baptist nod today, and tell them that today is the day of salvation. Come on, turn to your neighbor. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Wonderful. It is always a joy and a privilege to open the scriptures with you. And this morning, being a Good Friday, Easter weekend, we're going to take time to meditate upon the work that Jesus accomplished for us 2,000 years ago. And uh, what a privilege it is for us as people of God during this time to be able to come to a place to truly meditate, take time, reflect, meditate upon the work of Jesus. Now, this weekend, I'm going to share with you two messages. Today, being the Good Friday, we're going to touch on the topic of sacrifice. On Sunday, being the Easter Sunday, I'm going to touch on the topic of priesthood. Now, these two things are very fundamental and vital for our understanding as believers in Christ. See, the Bible declares that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. The Bible says, Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Paul, when he writes, he says, Christ is our Passover lamb. And I want you to think about this, that Christ is our Passover lamb. And John, when he introduced Jesus, when John met Jesus on the day when he was about to baptize Jesus, he cried out and he says in John chapter 1 and verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I thank God for this wonderful privilege. On this day, we could talk about the sacrifice of Christ. Listen to me carefully, people. Every time an offerer, you and I, come before God, we need to bring him a sacrifice in order to be accepted in the Old Testament. And when God instituted a sacrifice, it needs to be presided over to approve and to accept by a priest. You and I cannot go directly to God. That's why these two things are vital for every offerer. I want to say that again. A, a, every offerer needs two things. One, a sacrifice. And number two, a priest to officiate the sacrificial ceremony. And this is what we have in Christ. He is both our sacrifice and our high priest. And therefore, he is our sacrifice. And he is also the priest that officiated the ceremonial sacrifice. The sacrifice that he did on the cross of Calvary. So I want to take this weekend and touch on both these subjects. So today will be the topic, Christ, our Passover lamb. 
And this is important for us to consider because the Bible calls him, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And as Paul rightfully mentioned, that he is Christ, our Passover Lamb. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, even as we dedicate this moment to you, we ask that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. Give us listening ears and a heart that is willing to obey your word. Open our eyes to see Jesus in all his beauty, in all his glory, that we will not only be amazed at him, but we will also give our life to him. Today, we thank you, Lord, for this privilege that we can gather in our homes as families together and to watch and to listen to God's word. Speak to our hearts. Encourage us. Give us a timely word, a word in season. In Jesus' precious name and the people of God said, Amen and amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus, our Passover lamb. Now, why this is important for us to study? I want to take a moment to give you a verse in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. Romans 15 and verse 4 says, Whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. In other words, whatever was written in the Old Testament is for our understanding and it is for our instruction. See, you and I, we need to understand. We are people of God in the, in the New Testament era, but we need to pay attention to how God has worked in the lives of people and through the lives of people in the Old Testament. And whatever you find in the Old Testament is written for our own instruction. That's why today I'm going to take you back to the Garden of Eden. I'm going to take you back to the book of Genesis. I'm going to take you through the book of Exodus and then understand why a sacrifice ought to be made before God. Today, it's all about sacrifice. Why did we need to bring a sacrifice unto the Lord and why that was the acceptable form of worship and acceptance before God? See, you and I, we need to pay attention to what happened in the Garden of Eden the Garden of Eden, the Bible says God created man and he placed him in the garden. And God and man had perfect fellowship. But one of the things that took place is man fell into sin and rebelled against God. After he fell into sin and rebelled against God, sin occupied his heart. Therefore, every soul that sins shall eventually die. Even though it took Adam 900 more years to die, something within him was dead. What is it? It was his spirit communication with God. He was a spirit being, but the spirit part of him is now no more in fellowship with God. Rather, he is now in sin. A man who was right with God has now fallen short of the glory of God, has now com committed sin, and now stays in the realm of sin. Now, this is important for us to understand. At the moment they fell into sin, the Bible says their eyes were open. And when their eyes were open, they immediately, the Bible says in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Genesis, their eyes were open, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. In other words, man knew that he was naked, so he needed to cover his nakedness. What did he do? He found fig leaves and covered himself. Now, what does this fig leaves represent? You know, in the New Testament, it's so interesting. Jesus, who always blesses people, blesses things. The one place where he cursed something was actually the, the fig tree. The fig tree was cursed. Why was the fig tree cursed? The fig tree was cursed because I believe this is the indication. 
for us that in the garden of eden man relied upon the fig tree and the fig leaves and he covered his nakedness and when he covered his nakedness it represents man trying to make himself appear good before god rather than relying upon god to cover his nakedness rather than relying upon god to make him justified in the eyes of god man now took to himself he relied on himself to cover his nakedness now this is an abomination unto the lord why in isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 the bible says this we all have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment in the kjv translation it says we it is like our righteousness is like filthy rags polluted garment any time we try to become righteous we try to do moral good deeds so that we can be right with god when we trust in our own effort and ability and our moral behavior to get right with god the bible says those acts never justify us before god because they appear to him as a polluted garment a filthy rag You know when you take that term filthy rag in the Hebrew it is a cloth that the women used during their season or their period time and it was their menstrual cycle cloth which they use and then they wash and they use again that cloth when it's used that cloth that filthy dirty cloth is what the bible says your righteousness and my righteousness is before god if we rely on our own works we will never get right with a holy god because no matter what you do whether you go and dip yourself in a river or whether you go to on a pilgrimage to a holy site whether you do morally good deeds even if you give away all your wealth to the poor doesn't matter what you do the bible says you'll never be good enough for a holy god when you trust in your own ability so today you and i we need to understand a biblical principle the principle is this in hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 without the shedding of blood hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin the bible says everything is purified with blood everything that needs to be purified needs to be purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins you and i we need to pay attention to this that's why even in the garden of eden god how did he make them acceptable before him you know what he did the bible says in verse 21 of genesis chapter 3 god removed their fig leaves and instead he made for adam and for his wife garments of skin garments of skin and clothed them this garments of skin and clothed them now ask yourself this question how do you get a garment of skin you can only skin an animal if the animal is already dead in other words god had to kill an innocent animal right there blood has been shed and once blood has been shed he took the skin and covered their nakedness right there we have a principle that the innocent dies for the guilty the innocent dies and the guilty goes free adam and eve walked away free even though they were they were filled with curse and all the things around them were cursed even though they were away from god they there's the spirit being died but the bible is clear that they they the the blood was shed 
Therefore, their life was spared at that moment. So I want you to pay attention to this. That's one of the core things we got to understand. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And everything is purified by the blood. Now, how do I know that this was the understanding even in the Garden of Eden? Because the right next, next chapter in Genesis chapter 4, there are two boys that came out of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And both of them brought an offering unto the Lord. Cain was an agriculturist. He was a farmer. So he brought first fruits of the ground. He brought the fruits of the ground. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Look at this right there. The Bible says God had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain's offering God just rejected. Why? Because Cain brought his own produce, what he produced from the ground, he brought it. But whereas Abel says, if I want to come and worship God, I can't bring what I worked for, not my own effort, but I need to bring an innocent life that has been shed. And because if the innocent blood has been shed, then I can recognize that my life has been spared by God. That was the whole theology. So they brought the innocent animal and offered unto the Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, I don't have the reference for it, but I want you to pay attention to this. Abel offered something greater to the Lord because he offered by faith. That's what it is. When you trust in your own ability, there is no faith. When you trust in your own, own works, there is no faith. But when you trust in the work of an innocent animal taking your place and dying for you, an innocent dies so that the guilty can go free, then there is faith. So here the Bible says Cain was accepted, but uh, uh, Abel was accepted, but Cain was rejected. Now, as you continue to go on this journey, in the book of Exodus, we find that people of God were in Egypt in bondage for nearly 400 years. For 400 years, a Pharaoh that did not know them oppressed them. The Bible says they were humiliated. They were afflicted in every possible way. And as people of God, during affliction, they cried out to God. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 3 that God heard their cry and God sent them a deliverer. I want you to pay attention to this. Because in chapter 3 of verse 7 to verse 10, I'm going to read this just to give you a background. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I want to say this to you right now. Your God sees the affliction that you go through. Number one. Number two, he says, and heard their cry. God hears their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, land flowing with milk and honey. And then in verse 9, it says, And behold, the cry of the people has come to me, says the Lord. The cry of the people. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. God is here listening to the, he has seen the affliction of the people in Egypt. And he has heard the affliction, the cry of the people. And when he has heard and seen it, and he knows their suffering, he immediately calls upon a deliverer and he sends a deliverer. This is how God works. God always works. He limits himself to work through a human being. 
listen to me carefully, God could easily send an angel to accomplish his task. God could easily command and it will be happening. But the reality is God has limited to work himself through a deliverer that is born in the human race. Why is this? Because earth has been given to man, the Bible says. Heaven is his, but earth he has given dominion to man. And so he restricts himself to work through. That's why when Jesus was to be born, the Messiah should come in. He didn't come as a full-grown man. He didn't come in as an angel becoming man. He took the form. He borrowed the womb of a young virgin girl and he gave birth to a deliverer. I want you to listen to me carefully. Moses was the deliverer. And God wants to do something in your life. God wants to do something through you. He's always looking for you. He's choosing you to work through. And I love this phrase that the Bible says, the cry of the people has come before him in verse 9. The cry of the people. Do you know there are cries from every city that goes before God? There are cries of people that goes before God. Number one, the cry of affliction goes before God. When people are afflicted and they're crying out, if the cry reaches heaven, God doesn't miss it. Not only that, when the sin of a nation increases, when the evil is increasing, even that evil will cry out to the Lord. And the Lord says, I hear even the cry of the evil. In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2, the Lord says, Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Why go to Nineveh? Because that great city and call out against it. Why call judgment against Nineveh? Because the evil has come up before me. Can you see this? God can see the evil that is prevalent in the cities of the world. And God knows whether those cry comes up to him and he has to deal with it. And that's why I want you to pay attention to this. No matter what you're going through, know this, nothing misses your God. He's a sovereign God. He's a good God. He's a wise God. He loves you. He cares for you. He bottles your tears. He keeps record of everything that you're going through. Hallelujah. I want to take a moment to give the Lord a clap offering. Come on. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We worship you. We thank you. We praise you. On the night when God decides to deliver his people, after 430 years in bondage, God speaks to Pharaoh through Moses and says, let my people go. But what does Pharaoh do? The Bible says the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he continued to say no. So the Lord sent 10 plagues in the land of Egypt. Pay attention to this. Why? Because, you know, in the book of Revelation, later in the final days of the earth's life, there will be plagues as well. And there is a parallel to these passages. I want you to study that. But the Bible says the ninth plague was a darkness that covered the earth for three days. And Pharaoh was still relentless. He wouldn't want to let the people of God go to worship God. So what God did, finally, he says to Moses, I have decided that there will be a death of the firstborn. Firstborn cattle and firstborn sons will die. And I want you to listen to me carefully. This, up to now, nine plagues that God had sent. All that nine plagues happened in the land of Egypt. He did not touch the children of Israel. Listen to me carefully. The children of Israel dwelt in a place called Goshen. I had the privilege of being there, and I, I, it's a beautiful place. It is a place near the waters, and it's a beautiful place, a fertile ground, and it's a blessed land. Now, this Goshen is where the Bible says the people of God dwelt, and in that place, the plagues did not visit. 
But this final plague, the plague that will come upon the whole land, it was a judgment upon every man. So listen carefully. It not only came upon Egyptians, it will also come upon the Israelites. So God says to Moses, I want you to do something for me. In chapter 12 of Exodus, there he institutes what he calls a Passover. Now, what is a Passover? This is important for us to understand. 430 years in slavery, one night, that whole slavery was overturned. How did that happen? What caused them to come out of that slavery with silver and gold and with divine health that sustained them for 40 long years in the wilderness? I want you to pay attention to this night that took place. The night is called Passover. Now, why is this so important? I'm going to highlight this for you because this is how the Lord commanded them to do Passover. Now, this Passover is celebrated all over the world this week. It coincides with the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. Do you know that this year, the Passover just started in Israel, and all the Jewish people that are religious and are following the law are celebrating uh, the Passover with their family from Wednesday, the 8th, the evening of Wednesday, 8th April onwards. Now, this week is significant for us. As people of God, we understand this. Why? Because Jesus also died on the week of Passover. He died exactly on the day of Passover. So this, I want you to see the, the parallelism here. I want you to see how the, what God did through the children, for the children of Israel. In Exodus chapter 12, it is a picture of Jesus in the New Testament. Listen to me carefully. I want to give you a principle. Take this down first. The Old Testament is Christ concealed and New Testament is Christ revealed. I want you to turn to your neighbor and dazzle them with your brilliance. Come on. Three, two, one. Old Testament is Christ concealed and New Testament is Christ revealed. In other words, whenever you look at the Old Testament, it's a picture and that picture points to Christ. It's a picture that foretells the work, the shadow of what Christ will be doing. It is like a photograph of the real thing. So here, I want you to think about this. Chapter 12 of Exodus, this is what the Bible says in verse 3. God says to the children of Israel, On the 10th day of the month, this is the month of Nisan, and on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to the father's house, a lamb for a household. Imagine this, on the 10th day, <clears throat> every man goes and collects for himself a lamb, a one-year-old lamb, the lamb that is prime, one-year-old is usually the prime of its life. And it has to be without blemish. So they, they bring this lamb into the household. Imagine this, on the 10th day, the lamb comes into the house. Now, do you know, it was on the 10th day of the month of Nisan that Jesus Christ rode a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. He came on the exact day. That's what we celebrated last Sunday as the Palm Sunday. That was the 10th day of the month. The lamb comes into the house. Now, if a lamb comes into the house and stays with you for four days, what would happen? If you have young children, they will run around, play with the lamb. And what they will do, they will already give it a pet name. That's why I want you to read this Exodus 12 one day when you have time because it speaks the endearment. It is a lamb and then it becomes the lamb because it has become endeared to the household. 
Now, this lamb that comes into your household on the 10th day, for the next four days, you will spend time scrutinizing this lamb to make sure it is without any blemish. Look at verse 5. Your lamb should be without blemish. A male and a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. The Bible says it should be one year old. Why? Because a lamb comes into the prime of its youth at one year old. It, it is strong. It is sturdy to do what you need to do. And the Bible says this, that God instituted that they bring it on the 10th day. And on the 14th day, they take this uh, lamb that is without blemish, one year old male lamb. You know what they do with it on the 14th day? And the 14th day is the Passover day. And on that 14th day, the Bible says in verse 21 of Exodus 12, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two dopos and the blood that is in, with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. What a beautiful picture. Listen to me carefully. The father of the house brings the lamb outside the house on the 14th day of Nisan, which is the Passover day. And you know what he does? He kills that animal he slits the throat and now blood is gushing out everywhere the lamb is dying there's blood all over the ground all over the front of the house now the bible says you collect the blood you can't touch the blood you collect the blood in a basin and now using a hyssop like a brush he takes it and he applies he's commanded to apply on the doorposts on both sides in other words it's like this action on the side of the doorpost and on the top of the lintel. Now, when you do this, it's a sign of a cross almost. And the Bible says that's exactly how they apply. Why they don't apply anything on the bottom? Why? Because there's already blood on the ground because they've just killed the animal there. Now, the Bible says you cannot leave the house. Once you have applied the blood, you stay inside the house. And inside the house, what do you do? The Bible says this in verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that night. Verse 8 of Exodus chapter 12. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire. See, you can't eat the meat raw. You can't do anything else with it, but rather roasted on fire. Why? Roasting on fire was a picture of burning. It is a picture of judgment. It is a picture of something that is being consumed with fire. And the Bible says they were roasting it on fire. Not only did they roast it on fire, then you shall eat of it. Where? Inside the house. You cannot go outside. You stay inside the house and eat the meat. And the Bible says very specifically in verse 46, it shall be eaten in one house, you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of the bones. Hallelujah. The Passover lamb, the bones cannot be broken. The meat ought to be roasted and you need to eat it inside the house. Apply the blood on the doorpost and eat the meat inside, which is roasted in fire. The Bible says you eat it in verse 8 with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Now, this is what happened on the night, the Bible says, when they did this, they applied the blood by faith, and then they stayed inside the house. They roasted the meat, 
and they partook of it as a family. You know what the Bible says the Lord did? The Lord did not allow any destroyer, the destroyer to come inside their house. You know why? Because they are already judged. Listen to me carefully. The innocent has already died. Therefore, the guilty can go free. The innocent animal had already been sacrificed. So whenever the Lord saw, whichever home the Lord saw, there was blood already shed, blood already applied. It implies an innocent has already died so that the people who are guilty can be forgiven, can be avoided. In other words, they can be passed over. They won't be destroyed. Now, listen to me carefully. This judgment was upon the whole known world. In other words, upon Egypt and upon Israel. Any family would have gone through that. But the grace of God is when they applied the blood, they ate that meat, they stayed inside the house, they were saved. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, Christ has become our Passover. Hallelujah. The beautiful thing is, the Lord said every year, it will be an annual feast. You'll remember this. Because that night, when they partook of the, the flesh that was burnt, roasted in fire, and they took, of that, uh, took and applied that f- blood by faith, you know what happened? They not only were saved that night, they were delivered from 430 years of bondage. For 430 years, they were mistreated, afflicted, they were poorly paid. But the grace of God was, on that one night, they collected a huge spoils, payment for all the 400 years of slavery, and they went out, the Bible says, with silver and gold, and they were filled with health of the Lord to sustain them in their long journey. Turn to your neighbor and say, Christ is my Passover. Come on, hallelujah. Praise God. This is the beautiful part. I want you to remember a few things from here. Tenth day, it comes into your house. Fourteenth day, you slit the throat and apply the blood, eat the meat. Not only that, stay inside the house. But one thing the Bible says, do not break the bones of this Passover lamb. Now, God instituted this to be an annual feast. And this annual feast is celebrated by Jews all over the world. Every year on the tenth day, to, on the fourteenth day of Nisan, and they will celebrate it as a feast. Celebrate. Now, this is a beautiful part. But on top of this, towards the end of Exodus, God institutes two things. In chapter, Exodus chapter 29, I want you to listen to me carefully. Exodus chapter 29, the Bible says in verse 9, the priesthood was established for the first time. Until that time, there was only one priest mentioned, which I will cover on Sunday the priest is mentioned in the book of Genesis. I'll give you a clue who it is. It's, his name starts with the letter M. If you want to know more details, watch on Sunday. Now, the reality is this. He was the only one who was a priest, but he was a priest to Gentiles. The Jewish people had no priests up to this point, and God institutes Aaron and his sons to be the priest. And here, priesthood is established, and the Aaron's family will continue on that priesthood lineage from generation to generation. Now, The second thing God institutes is every single day there will be a temple worship. In the tabernacle of Moses and later on in Solomon's temple, there will be every single day there will be a sacrifice that is given unto the Lord. And that sacrifice is called the burnt offering. Now read with me in Exodus chapter 29 and verse 38 and 39. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Now you have a priest 
and the priest is now supposed to offer every single day. What do you, does he do? Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning. The Bible says that's 9 a.m. And, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, 3 p.m. So two lambs every single year, every single day, you offer regularly. One at 9 a.m. And the priest is now doing this every single day. Secondly, at 3 p.m., you shall also offer a lamb at twilight. Now, when you do this regularly, what is this sacrifice? This is not a sin offering. This is a burnt offering. Now, you and I are very familiar with burnt offering. You may wonder why. <laughs> My wife always gives me sometimes burnt offerings. I tell her, no, honey, I'm not God. Don't worship me with burnt offering. You know, when my mom was with, with us, when, when my second son was born, he taught my wife how to make some nice, she taught my wife how to make some nice biryani. It was a nice biryani. You know, in, in, in Asia, we call it nasi biryani. Nasi biryani. Nasi means rice. Nasi biryani. Now, after my mom left, she started cooking, and my wife served the biryani, and it's still fantastic the first week. A month later, it was so-so. Two months later when she made it, it was burnt in the bottom. And she says, this is a smoked barbecue flavor biryani. Now, this is where uh, we had enough as a family. You know what we said to her? Honey, no more nasi biryani. Your biryani has now become a nasty biryani. Please stop. And that was the last day she ever cooked biryani. Now, burnt offering has nothing to do with something that is burnt. Listen to me carefully. This is an animal sacrifice that is placed upon the altar two times every single day at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. And the word of the Lord is this. What is a burnt offering? It symbolizes a life that is purely offered unto God. It is a life that is totally yielded to God. Now, this is important for us. Even this sacrifice was pointing to Christ. See, Jesus before he can die for you on the cross, he actually has to live a holy life before God. And that is a life that is totally yielded unto God. Because the Bible commands this in the New Testament, in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, Jesus himself said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The Bible says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Now, how many of us are able to do that? Not only once, not only one moment, but every single waking moment of our lives. Do you know how impossible that is? But the Bible says, that is how Jesus lived before God. He loved God with all his heart. He obeyed God faithfully till the end. He fulfilled all the law. And he pleased the Father in every aspect. Now, that is a life that is totally yielded, submitted unto God. That was the burnt offering they offered at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Every single day, every single day, the priest did that. Now, listen to me carefully. Jesus comes into the scene. Now, on the day of Passover, I want to take you, a, give you a a moment to, to digest this. On the day of Passover, every single day there's two lambs that are offered. But on the day of Passover, you have to add the third lamb, the Passover lamb. So there are three lambs 
that are offered on the day of Passover, annually. Now, what is the, how, when do they offer it? First lamb is offered at 9 a.m. The second lamb is offered at 12 p.m. Both these are the burn offerings. But the last one at 3 p.m. is the Passover lamb that they offer. Now, why all these details, Pastor? I told you already, Old Testament is Christ concealed and New Testament is Christ revealed. It gives you a great, uh, you know, when, you, when you're able to see the picture that God has already been pointing to, what it was pointing to all those years when people were doing these offerings for 1,500 years, every single day, every single year, it was pointing to the one who would come and live a life of godliness and holiness unto the Lord. And not only that, he will offer his own life as a burnt offering. He will offer his own life as a sin offering. And that perfect lamb of God is Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Hallelujah. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Christ is my Passover lamb. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, when you think about this, even though they were doing this for 1,500 years, the Bible says God found fault with this priesthood that is of Aaron and then the sacrifice that he instituted. Now, I'm going to leave everything that is to do with priesthood to deal with on Sunday, Easter Sunday. And I pray that you join me on that day to study about our great high priest, how Jesus became our high priest. I want you to listen to me carefully. Today, it's about the sacrifice. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 indicates, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Why? See, this is the heart of God. God wants man to come into fellowship with him. And when God wants man to fellowship with him, man should offer a sacrifice. And that's what they did for 1,500 years. They offered an animal sacrifice. And the blood covered their sins. See, the blood never cleansed them from their sins. The blood only covered their sins. And when the blood covered their sins, you know what happens? There is an annual reminder of the sins. Every year there is a sin that you, you it's a reminder. There is a consciousness of sin. There is a consciousness of sin. So this is the key part that you and I, we need to pay attention to. God did not want us to have that consciousness of sin. God did not want us to feel guilty all the time. Do you know that the people, of, people in the world say today, there is no God, but yet they cannot suppress that, that guilt that they feel on the inside. Listen to me carefully. You can deny the existence of God. You can deny, deny the existence of an absolute truth. But deep down in your heart, the inner conscience, there is a prick that says what you're doing is evil. You feel guilty. And you try to dumb it down by saying, no, I can forgive myself. Can I humbly say this? No amount of you forgiving yourself can ever remove that guilt. It is almost like trusting in the blood of goats and bulls, the Bible says. So God found fault with that sacrifice, even though they did it for 1,500 years because it was pointing to Jesus, the Messiah that will come. Now, here's the truth. I want you to go with me to Hebrews 10 and verse 1 onwards. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. Whenever the Bible talks about the law, it talks about the Old Testament covenant that God gave through Moses. Here the Bible says it was a shadow 
of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year every year make perfect those who draw near. Look at the heart of God. God wants you to be perfect when you come near, but the blood of bulls and goats can never make you perfect. The next one in verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if the blood of bulls and goats will make you perfect before God, you only do have to do it once. After that, you don't have to repeat it. But they did it every year. Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. See, right there, we have a dilemma. Every single year, we are reminded of our sins. The guilty conscience is never purged and never cleansed. Our sins are just covered. We are given a forgiveness for a year and we go about our business. But every year, we got to keep coming back and doing this. Imagine if you were living under that system. Today, all of us will be bringing a, a bull or a goat to church and to offer a sacrifice. I want you to listen to me. But God found fault with that covenant. You know what God did? He changed it. Not only he found fault with the, uh, with the sacrifice, but also with the priest, the priesthood that he established. Look at this in verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11, offering repeatedly for himself the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Listen, every day this priest has to do the same thing. Look, if you're a priest under, uh, under the order of uh, Aaron, you know what you would do? You would go to this tabernacle or the temple in the morning. Last evening you would have had a, a sacrifice that was burning from 3 p.m., you have to now remove those ashes. The ashes will be white color because they're all fully burnt now. You remove all of them and then you take them out and dump them in a place called outside the camp. That's a very deep point. Take it outside the camp and dump it. And then come back. Now get ready the next sacrifice. So 9 a.m. Now a new animal is sacrificed and you place upon the altar. And that animal is now offered unto the Lord. By 3 p.m., you got to get the next sacrifice ready. So now it's fully burnt. You now remove all the ashes and go dump it in the place called outside the camp. And now come and 3 o'clock, you place this new sacrifice. This is what they did daily. And by the way, in tabernacle, there is no chair for a priest to sit down. In other words, they have to continually work. They remain standing. Now the significance of this you will find on Sunday. Why? And what Jesus accomplished. But for today, I want you to listen to me. That Jesus, when he came, he came to actually remove the first covenant. The first, the first uh, institution of the priests and the sacrifice. He came to abolish it and bring a new one. That is the role of why Jesus came. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. The Bible says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, Hebrews 10 and verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not taken pleasure. Then I said, behold, I come to do your will, O God. Jesus says here, I come to do your will, O Father. What is the will? As it is written of me in the scroll of the book. What is the will? Verse 9 says, then he added, behold, I come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Listen to this carefully. 
he does away with the first, the first priesthood and the first line of sacrifices that was established, he removes it and he establishes the second. What is the second? Verse 10 says, and by that will, you have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hallelujah. Once for all. I want you to listen to me carefully. The Bible says God found fault with this covenant. God found fault with the sacrificial system. And this is what the Bible says God did. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came and the Bible says God prepared Jesus a body. And in that body, Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Now, in this instance, what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is to remove the first priesthood, to remove the first covenant, to remove that first priest and the sacrifice, and to establish the second. What is the second? Jesus as the high priest. Not only that, Jesus as the sacrifice. I want you to think about this. Why would God give himself, why would God give Jesus why would God become man? Why would God give his own son to be the sacrifice? There is a beautiful picture in the Bible in Genesis chapter 22. After God called a man by the name of Abram and made a covenant with him and gave him a beautiful promise that one day his seed will be a blessing to the whole world. For many, many years, this man did not have any son, but one day, the Bible says at 100 years old, he was given birth. He, his wife gave birth to a son. His name is Isaac. And then God comes to Abraham. Now Isaac is around a teenager. And God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and then offer him as a sacrifice in the altar in a place I will show you. So for three days, Abraham journeys with his son to go to the place where God will show him where he will offer his son as a sacrifice. Along the way, Abraham and Isaac have a conversation. Isaac says to his father, Father, I see the wood. I see the, 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 you know, I see all these things that are ready to make an altar. But where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? You're not bringing any lamb. Now, I don't think Abraham had the guts to tell Isaac, Isaac, you are the lamb. You are the sacrifice. Because he didn't even say to his wife. The Bible says very early in the morning, after he heard from God, very early in the morning, he didn't even tell his wife. He didn't even say shalom to his wife that day. He just packed his bag and left with his son very early in the morning. Now, this is the moment when Isaac asks him the question, Dad, where is the sacrifice? You know what Abraham says? Look at this in verse 8 of Genesis 22. He says so beautifully, God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. I love this phrase in the Hebrew because it could read in two ways. One, God will provide a lamb. That's the first way. I don't have a lamb, but God will provide a lamb. Another way to read that same Hebrew phrase is this. God will provide himself as a lamb. Listen to me carefully. God will provide a lamb is one. But God himself will provide himself as a lamb is the second one. God will provide himself as a lamb. Did it happen? Yes. On the same mountain where, where Abraham was supposed to sacrifice Isaac is the same place where Jesus was sacrificed. I want you to listen to me carefully. On that day when Abraham got ready to um, almost kill his son, the Bible says God spoke 
through an angel. And the angel of the Lord said, stop, Abraham, for now I know that you fear me. You don't need to kill your son because your son, even if he dies, sheds his blood. He can't rescue anybody, cannot save anybody because it's a impure blood. But what God was looking for is a heart that was willing to obey God, a heart that was yielded to God, that man was willing to offer his own son to God. Now God in turn has decided to offer his son for man. What a beautiful picture. All God needed is for man to be able to willing to give his own son. Now God says, I'll go the extra mile. I spared Isaac, but I would not spare Jesus. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, if God did not spare his only son, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how much more he will give us freely all things. Hallelujah. He will give us graciously all things. Why are you so worried, church? Why are you fretting and anxious? The economy downturn, the plagues that are visiting and I, can I humbly say, this is just the beginning of the end. There's more to come. But the people of God live distinctly. People of God live a separated life. People of God live a life that is so rested. Why? They're resting in the finished work of God. If God did not spare his son, but gave him up, hallelujah, he will freely give us, graciously give us everything that we need to live a godly life. Can I ask for an amen? Come on, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Christ has become my Passover lamb. Come on, hallelujah. Now I want you to understand these two changes that have just taken place. Jesus is now the high priest. He's officiating his own sacrifice. Now, I didn't take time to dig deep into that today. Why? I reserve it for Sunday. Otherwise, you'll be here for two hours. But the truth is that Jesus is now officiating his own sacrifice as a priest. Now you could ask, how can he be a priest? He is not from the family of Aaron. Aaron is a Levite. Jesus was born in the tribe of Judah. Now this is where you got to come on Sunday. We'll study it together. But today, the sacrifice has now shifted from the animal sacrifice to Jesus offering his own body as a sacrifice. In other words, he is the perfect lamb of God. He is the burnt offering unto the Lord, a life that is fully yielded. And he is also the Passover lamb that died for you and for me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let me give you what happened in the Passion Week. We are in the Passion Week right now. On the 10th day, as I said to you early. On the Palm Sunday, 10th day of the month of Nisan, Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem. After he entered the city of Jerusalem for nearly the next few days, do you know he was scrutinized by anyone and everyone? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, no, Sadducees, they are the Sadducee. Uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and then the Sanhedrin, Everyone scrutinized him by asking him tough questions. Why? They want to catch him. They want to pick him at a place and say, there is a fault in him. But, you know, time and time again, they declare in him, we find no fault. Finally, they, 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 came, up with a, they came up with an evil plan. They came up with lies and deceit and they, try, they brought him to, to, in front of Pilate. And Pilate investigated Jesus. 
He again scrutinizes every act and everything that Jesus has said. Now, finally, this is what the Bible says. Pilate says, you know, in John chapter 19 and verse 4 and verse 6, if you read this. See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault, no guilt in him. Twice he says this in verse 6 also. I find no fault in him, no guilt in him. Why this is being repeated over and over again about Jesus? Because it has to be a lamb that is without blemish. And here is a man. In him, there was no sin. There was no sin in him. He did no sin. In him, there was no sin. And he died for our sin. Listen to me carefully. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. Now here the Bible says, after, even Pilate, did you know that Pilate actually went an extra mile? He didn't have to, but he went an extra mile and tried to engineer a way to release Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 16 and then in verse 20, he brought a man by the name of Barabbas. Um, Barabbas is a murderer. Barabbas is someone who is against the government, so he had been incarcerated. But now the people... He, he, he wanted to bring and release these people, release Barabbas. So he brought Jesus and Barabbas together and he put them side by side and asked the people, who do you want to release? Because this is a feast day, I want to release somebody. Who do you want me to release? What a beautiful picture. I want you to listen to me carefully. Right there is that principle. The innocent dies, the guilty goes free. You know what happened? The people fooled by the, by the chief, chief high priest and the, and the Sanhedrin. You know what they did? They said, murder, crucify Jesus and release Barabbas to us. If you read these two names in actually in, 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 uh, in, in, in the original language, it's beautiful because it's Barabbas. Bar means son. Abbas means father, son of the father. That's the Barabbas, the murderer. And he is the son of the true father, the real father, the God father. And here the Bible says these two, one died, the other one was set free. In other words, the innocent died, the guilty set free. Again, this is a pattern. I want you to look at this. And the Bible says on the day of Passover, this is the night Jesus was uh, betrayed and then he was caught and then he was, uh, uh, they, they, they tried to punish him by giving him 39 lashes and all that. But then the next day, the next day, on the day of crucifixion, that is the day of Passover. Listen to what happened. The Bible says in Mark chapter 15 and verse 25, it was the third hour when they crucified Jesus. It was the third hour. Third hour is 9 a.m. in the morning. Do you know what happens at 9 a.m. in the temple on a Passover day? They sacrifice the first animal. It is the burnt offering that is given unto the Lord at 9 a.m. Jesus, at that exact moment, was nailed to the cross. The Bible says in verse 33, when the sixth hour had come. What is sixth hour? It is midday, 12 p.m. It was on the midday, the Bible says, darkness covered the whole earth until ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. For three long hours, there was darkness that descended upon the earth. Now, if you're reading this, sometimes people might say, yeah, maybe there was a solar eclipse. Because people tried to reason it out and say, maybe there was a solar eclipse. 
but there couldn't be a solar eclipse. You know why? The Passover is always, always has full moon. Just walk outside tonight, at night. Just look up, up to the sky. You will see a full moon. In other words, this is a season for full moon. Full moon cannot go through an eclipse, solar eclipse. Why? Because the moon had to be away from the sun in a long distance before it can be a solar eclipse. I want you to listen to me. This is darkness because the whole world's sin was placed upon the sacrifice. At 12 p.m., the second lamb was placed, the second burnt offering was placed, and the lamb was cut in the temple. Darkness covered the whole earth because now the sacrifice is now filled with the sin of the world. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our place of condemnation, of guilt, of shame. And the Bible says, he took our place. On that day, he took the wrath of God that rightfully belonged to you and to me. Oh, when I think of this, I cry. I cry at the mercy of my Savior. I cry at the love that he has for me. Like a, like a songwriter sang, amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? I want you to listen to me carefully here. 9 a.m., they crucified him. 12 p.m., when the second animal was being cut in the temple, the darkness comes upon the whole world and he was, fire was coming upon him. Because what was this darkness? The fire of God. The judgment of God for all the sin of mankind, past, present, and future. Listen to this carefully. The Bible says he endured all of that. And when he went through this, right towards the ninth hour, which is towards the end at 3 p.m., at ninth hour, verse 34, the Bible says, Jesus cried a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabatani." which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look at this. He and Father have been one in eternity. Now he cries out to his own Father, my God, my God. Why? Because in that moment, the Father had turned his face from his own Son because the Son was carrying the sin of the world and he was being judged. Let this sink in your heart. Oh, hallelujah. That when you come to that place, you recognize this. That Jesus took your place. So that you, the, innoc the innocent dies so that the guilty can be set free. You have been spared because he died. He endured the wrath of God so that you can be set free. He endured the curse of God. So that you can be set free. He endured the judgment that will come upon the sin of the whole world. So that your sins can be forgiven. And you can be accepted back into fellowship with the holy God. That is the truth church. And closer to 3 p.m. The Bible says in John chapter 19 and verse 28. The Bible says Jesus knowing that all was now finished. In other words the Passover has now sacrificed, has been accepted by God. Jesus has now finished the work on the cross. The Bible says, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Then they gave him a sour wine. Verse 30 says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. 
I want you to turn to your neighbor and say these three words. It is finished. Don't forget this. Why? And then he bowed down his head and gave up his spirit. Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. After he had declared it is finished. This is what the Bible says he did. Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Isn't it how beautiful it is? When Father was turning his face away from him, he cried out and he said, My God, my God. And now he says, My Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In other words, it is truly finished. The sacrifice is now accepted by God. And because the sacrifice has been accepted by God, the sin has been judged completely. Listen to me carefully, church. What a beautiful picture this is. Christ has become the Passover lamb. That exact moment when 3 p.m., when the Passover lamb is being cut, slain in the temple, the Bible says Jesus looks to the Father and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he dies. The Passover ceremony is over. Now, one of the beautiful pictures that I want you to take home with you is this. Because it was a day when there was preparation. Because when Jesus died, <coughs> he actually died on a Thursday. And the Friday and the Saturday, two days were actually Sabbath. Because it was one of those special Sabbath days. The Jews celebrate Sabbath every week. From Friday evening to Saturday evening. But here, it was a special Sabbath. Why? Because that's why the Bible calls it a high day. A Sabbath high day. In other words, that high day means there's two Sabbaths together. It only happens when the first day of uh, uh, the unleavened bread, which is a Sabbath, coincides with the Sabbath that is regular Sabbath. Weekly Sabbath. So there's two Sabbaths. That's why they were in a hurry. So the Jews came to Pilate and said, we want, we want his body to be removed and we want to make sure that he's dead. So break his bones and then give us the body. You know what happened? The soldier goes to break the bones of the first thief that is hanging on the cross and he breaks his bones. The thief goes to the second one. When it came to Jesus, the Bible says, look at this in verse 33 of John chapter 19. <clears throat> When they came to Jesus and they saw that he was already dead. <clears throat> when Jesus says, into your hands, I commit my spirit, he died. He went to sleep. And the Bible says they did not break his legs. Why this is important? Because the Passover lamb, the bones cannot be broken. The Bible is so true. It fulfilled here, even to that degree. And the Bible says in verse 34, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spirit with a spear and at once they came out blood and water I want to pay attention to this blood and water because when they punctured his lungs and his heart final thing that dripped out was only blood and water you know why that was significant for me see I'm a student of the Old Testament I love Christology in the Old Testament to see the shadows and to see the types and to see the pictures of Christ and here, even in these two things, the blood and the water came out. It is actually a ceremonial washing. When the priest, after he had done this, the work for the day, 
on a Passover day, it is three sacrifices. He did it on 9 and 12 and 3 p.m. After all that is done, they will wash everything. All the laver is washed with water because there's so much blood all over. So when the, when the priest sees all of it is washed, you will see on the ground blood and water. And everything is now over. So then the priest will actually declare. He, use, he, he will usually use this Jewish people can tell you this. The priest will make his hands be lifted up, raised up like this. And he will cry out in Hebrew, Nigma. You know what Nigma means? It is finished. Even though Jesus spoke Aramaic, he said the same thing here. It is finished. And so when, when the priest declares it is finished, that means the ceremony, the sacrificial ceremony is now complete. That is exactly what Jesus did. And the Bible says blood and water came out of his sides. I want you to listen to me carefully. And I want to end with this one verse. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. The Bible says this. But when Jesus had offered for all time a single sacrifice for all sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. I want you to listen to me. Read that one more time with me. Three, two, one. But when Jesus had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. A priest never sits down in the Old Testament. Here you find your new high priest, your great high priest sitting down. Why? Sacrifice is complete. One sacrifice for all time. This is the truth you and I need to embrace. You don't need to pay for your sins anymore. You don't have to carry the baggage of your sin anymore. You don't have to live with a guilty conscience anymore. You don't need to be conscious of your sins anymore. Why? There is now therefore no condemnation to those who have trusted in Christ Jesus. You have placed your faith in Christ. Therefore, your sins are forgiven. For how long? Forever. There is only one sacrifice for all sins, for all time. And that is why I'm going to summarize your redemption and my redemption in these four statements. Your redemption in Jesus Christ is complete. Say complete. Your redemption in Christ is not only complete, it is eternal. Say eternal. Your redemption in Christ is complete, it is eternal, it is also free. Say free. It costs you nothing. You don't have to do anything except to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and identify with Him in the waters of baptism. You and I, we can declare that Jesus has done it all. My redemption is complete. My redemption is eternal. My redemption is free. But do you know your redemption is costly? Say it costly. Why is it costly? Because it costs God the life of His own Son. It costs Jesus His own life. That's why it's costly, church. Don't take it for granted. The Paul writes and he says, I live my life daily. 
I make it my aim to live for the one who gave himself for me, who loved me and gave himself for me. I make it my aim to live for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Can I invite you this morning to give yourself to this Jesus of Nazareth who loved you and gave himself for you. He became your sacrifice. He is the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is your sacrifice. He is your Passover Lamb. Hallelujah. The more you acknowledge it, the more you declare it, the more you confess it, the more you rest upon it, your life will be filled with gladness of heart. (coughs) Don't worry, it's just the dryness of throat. I'm yelling here. I'm just filled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. (coughs) I want you to listen to me very carefully that God is a good God. He loves you so much. But as I bring this message to a close, I want to give you one picture to lay hold of. Imagine in, the, in, in Exodus chapter 12, they applied the blood upon the doorposts and then they sat inside the house and they ate the meat. Do you know, there could be two reactions in the hearts of people at that time. What are the two reactions? Let me give it to you. Because right now, you can't leave your house. Even on Easter weekend, you can't leave your house. You are inside the house. But my prayer is, you apply the door, apply the blood upon the doorposts and eat the meat inside the house. But there are two orientations of heart when you're inside the house. One, imagine this in Exodus 12. Moses comes and tells the people, Make sure you're inside the house. Make sure you eat this meat. Make sure you apply the blood. And then one of the family goes, one of the father in the household goes, this Moses, he lost his mind. What blood, what meat? I'm not going to apply any blood. I'm not going to do anything. And he rejects the whole thing. And he says, I don't think anyone is going to come into my house. No destroyer will come into my house. I will do all those things myself. He trusts in his own ability And he feels very confident that he can manage without the blood and without the meat. I tell you what would happen that night. The firstborn in his household would be dead. That is the truth. It doesn't matter how you feel on the inside. It's not about, well, I feel confident in my own ability. No, no, no. You will still die. But take the other one. You apply the blood. You listen to what Moses said, but you applied the blood and you're coming inside the house and you're roasting the meat and you're eating the meat with your family, but your heart is not at rest. Your heart is filled with anxiety, worry, fear. And if you are the firstborn, surely you are gripped with fear. You would say, will this work? I'm the firstborn. You are all second and thirdborn. You'll be fine. I'm the firstborn. I will die. Will this work? Will this blood work? Will the meat work? I don't know. You know what? Even if you are that fearful, as long as you had applied the blood and you're partaking of the meat, even if you're crying and, 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 and losing sleep inside the house, that night, the destroyer will pass over you because it's not how you felt. <laughs> this is a great comfort to me. You know why? Because some of us, when we go through situations like this lockdown and virus and all these things that's All the media promotes fear and fear-mongering. I want you to listen to me carefully. Whatever you feel on the inside, it doesn't matter. The one thing that you need to place your confidence is not in yourself, but in the one who gave himself for you. Hallelujah. 
He is your Passover lamb. And if God did not spare him, but delivered him, how much more he will give you graciously all things. Every head bow, every eye closed all across this place. I want to give you a moment for you to prepare the communion in your house. I invite the father in the house, or if you're a single mom or a single parent, I invite you to take this, take the elements, and I want you to distribute the elements to your family. I want you to participate together with me. And the reason why we do this every single week in this season is because church, we trust in what Christ has accomplished. We don't trust just necessarily in the ability for us to keep ourselves safe. Wearing masks and washing hands and staying indoors doesn't necessarily are the things we trust. We do it because it's common sense. But our trust is not in the outward activities. Our trust is in the name of the Lord. Our trust is in the name of Jesus. Our trust is in the blood of Jesus. Our trust is in what Christ has accomplished for us. Because the Bible says, you are worried about losing your life on earth. But do you know, without Jesus, your life will be lost forever. But with Jesus, even if you leave this earth, close your eyes and leave this earth for whatever reason, you close your eyes, you leave and you step into eternity with Christ. Listen to me carefully. Place your faith in Christ tonight. Place your faith in Christ this morning. Place your faith this afternoon. Place your faith this week. Place your faith this weekend. Why? Because this is the time for us to lay hold of what Christ has done and to declare our dependence upon Him and to say, Christ Jesus, You are my Lord, my Savior, my Master, my King. You are my Passover Lamb. Hallelujah. So Jesus takes the bread and Jesus was participating in a Passover meal with his disciples. And as part of the Passover meal celebration, Jesus says, guys, this body is actually my body that is broken for you. I don't think I have time to explain what happens in a Jewish home during a Passover meal. Do you know what they do? Maybe take a moment. Let me share this. The father will take one piece of the matzah bread they use. They use matzah bread because it's an unleavened bread which is pierced and striped. You have a look at it. And he will take one of those matzah bread and hide it into a linen cloth and he will take it away and put it away during the start of the meal, Passover meal. Towards, right towards the end of the Passover meal, he will say, can the children go and find that, that, that matzah bread that is wrapped up in a linen cloth and hiding away. Can you go find it? It's like almost like an Easter hunt. They go around and the children will find and the one, the child that brings that linen cloth with the matzah bread comes and brings it to the father. The father will say, okay, give that to me. And when he gives it that to him, the father will usually say, what do you want, child? And the child would demand something. And the father says, I don't have it now, but I give you the promise. It's called the promise of the father. And then when the, when, the man takes that, when the man takes that bread that has been now found, that was wrapped up in linen clothes and now come out, now that bread he breaks and serves his family. That bread that was wrapped up in linen cloth 
is Jesus. Jesus says, that bread is my body that is wounded and broken for you. Every time you participate in the Lord's table, every time you're remembering that it's the body of Jesus that was wounded for you, body of Jesus that was broken for you, you confess that he took your place so that you can take his place. He was cursed. He was chastised. And the chastisement for your peace fell upon him. And by his wounds on his body, you and I, we are healed. So when you partake of this body, you're declaring that health and healing and your faith in Jesus Christ. The same manner, there are four cups in a Passover meal. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification. The second cup, when they drink it, it is called the cup of deliverance. They're remembering what Christ did, what God did in the book of Exodus. The third cup, they call it the cup of redemption. And it was that, that moment when Jesus took the third cup and he declared to his disciples, guys, this is the cup of redemption. It is my blood that is shed for you. You're forgiven. You're accepted in the kingdom of God. Come, I want you to take these two elements in your hand. And I want you to go before God and to declare your dependence upon him. By faith, when we transact this, by faith, we are asking God to do what he did in the book of Exodus. We apply the faith of, by, we apply by faith, we apply the blood of Jesus upon our houses. We apply the blood of Jesus upon the doorposts of our hearts. We plead the blood of Jesus upon our families. We plead the blood of Jesus and the protection that comes by the blood of Jesus. We plead it over our families, over every individual. In the name of Jesus. And we declare because this blood has been shed, we are forgiven. We are cleansed. We are accepted by a holy God. And today we have a new covenant with God that we are his people on earth. Hallelujah. And his body that was wounded and broken for us, that body is broken for us, wounded for us, for our healing, for our health and our wholeness so that we can do the will of God. I invite you to pray and I invite you to participate. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus we acknowledge that Christ is our Passover lamb, that he died for us. He took our place so we can take his place. He died so we can live. He was condemned so we can be accepted and justified. He was rejected by God. So we'll always have the promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Father, today we acknowledge that Christ was cursed so that we can be blessed. Christ became poor so that we can be rich. Christ took all our sicknesses and our diseases upon his own body and by his wounds we are healed, the Bible says. His life was cut short at a young age so that with long life, God can satisfy us and fulfill the desires of our heart. This morning, our heart's desire is to do your will, O Lord. Our heart's desire to, is to give ourselves completely to the one who loved us and gave himself completely for us. So we give you all the glory, the praise and the honor. I pray for people who are sick among us to be healed in Jesus' name. I pray for people who are listening to me to be healed of all the infirmities because Christ has paid for it. And by faith, I want you to receive it this morning. Let healing flow through your physical body even now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And today, if you are a person who have never placed your faith in Christ, I invite you to place your faith in Christ. I invite you to say the sinner's prayer together with me. Just say this prayer. Open your mouth and confess it with the, all your heart. Believe it and confess it. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I need you as my Savior. I believe you're my Savior. You died for my sin. 
and you rescued me today i give my life to you i receive you as my lord i receive you and acknowledge you as my savior i commit my life to you rule over me lord be my lord and my king in jesus name amen if you are a person who said that sinner's prayer would you be kind enough to write to us at connect.idmc.com.au so that you can be followed up by our team we will give you some materials to read through and to also talk to you personally and lead you into the greatest decision that you have just made but i want to invite you too to participate to the lord's table if you're holding on to your elements this is the moment for us to participate let's thank the lord for the salvation that he has provided for us in christ that christ is our passover lamb and because he died we live in jesus name and the people of god said amen let me say this again your redemption is complete your redemption is eternal your redemption is free but your redemption is costly if god did not spare his only son but gave him up for you how much more he will graciously give you all things i'm going to pray for your needs this morning if you're watching us from somewhere in the world and you have a need just type in the comments and our team will continue to pray with you and pray for you we want to not just do this as a broadcast and walk away we are we are a church we're a church we're a community we're a family of believers who love the lord jesus who love his word we like to worship him and to learn from the scriptures and we invite you to be part of our family be part of our family both in the online and if you are wanting to join a life group or a small group you can connect with us on that connect.idmc.com.au but i want to pray your bl- a blessing upon you because god has offered his son for us how much more he gives us all things graciously that's why you don't have to work for it you don't have to work for your salvation you don't have to achieve your miracle you just have to receive it i pray for that womb to be open in the name of jesus i speak this under the anointing of the holy spirit womb be open receive that seed and conceive and let god give you strength to conceive and let god give you strength to carry the baby to full term and to deliver the baby at the appointed time in the appointed manner for the glory of god for the good of your family in jesus name i pray in the name of jesus that your worries about your finances will be the thing of the past from today you will declare the lord is my shepherd i shall not lack anything in the name of jesus i pray that financial breakthrough upon your life even in this situation let the lord be merciful to you father i pray for that family that is going through sorrow in this moment comfort their heart let the let the comfort of the holy spirit come upon them in this season may their eyes look to you and lord let them be comforted knowing that you are a god with whom all things are possible but when you have permitted certain things it is for our good and for your glory father in the name of jesus i pray mighty god that lord in this easter weekend may your presence be with your people watch over them i pray healing and health and deliverance for god's people in the name of jesus and we give you all the glory all the praise and all the honor in jesus precious name 
and the people of God said, Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you his shalom. Go in his peace, church, in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen and amen. Shall we give the Lord a clap offering? Come on, one more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I look forward to seeing you on Sunday because we're going to study about Jesus, our great high priest. God bless you. Have a blessed weekend. Thank you for listening to our message. We pray that God's word spoke to your heart and gave you an inspiration and encouragement. If you are truly blessed by this, would you take a moment to leave a comment or give us a rating on the Apple podcast service? Not only that, take an opportunity to share this on social media platforms so others who are in similar situations may be encouraged with the Word of God. We love you. If you want to connect with our church, go to connect.idmc.com.au and share with us where you're from, what you're doing, so that we can keep you in our prayers before the Lord. God bless you. 